Hello everyone and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 110. I'm Brother Hunda alongside Kyle Betts here on this Thursday afternoon of July 20th, just approaching 2 o'clock here on the West Coast. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing great, Brevin. Yet another great week of sports. Can't wait to get down into it. But first we have another special guest here this week on Down the Line, a good friend of the show that we've had actually, uh, I think, a, a few times now, Brevin. Yeah, he is our fantasy football commissioner, but more importantly, he is the St. Louis Cardinals minor league writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, a former colleague of ours at the Daily Aztec. We welcome back Daniel Guerrero. How are you doing, Daniel? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I think uh, it might be like third time on the podcast. I, I think we've gone on like around the trade deadline, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So like this, like a little like I guess the third annual visit or uh, a guest invite so i mean yeah it's great to uh, to be here to to catch up with you guys and talk sports i honestly forgot that i was fantasy football commissioner for a second yep. um, <laughs> which is kind of funny but but yeah i mean uh looking forward to, to chatting with you guys so thanks mm-hmm. for the invite we had daniel last back in january um, oh nice pretty much when we uh, uh took a look back on our fantasy football season uh the conclusion of our 2022 fantasy football season and as we pretty much get set for um guessing is another fantasy football season as well yeah but um, but we'll talk football later on in our show we got plenty of things to get to we're in talk some mlb we're going to talk some uh potter baseball we're going to talk some angels we're going to do some trivia on Joe otani uh, later on in our show, but we're going to kick things off with the Fast Five. And nothing was probably more fast and probably nothing more clean than Sabrina Ionescu at the three-point contest in Las Vegas last week. During the championship round, Ionescu missed just two shots um, during that final round. It was her first shot of that round, and then the money ball on her fourth round and route to 37 points out of a possible 40. Yeah, this was an incredible performance here. Uh, Really, you saw all the highlights on Twitter. I think this three-point contest was rather early in the day uh, when when this happened. I believe it was uh, last Friday. But uh, just seeing the highlights and and seeing just the praise for her all over Twitter, you know, a fantastic performance. And it'll definitely go down in history. And when you consider how she – you know, really ranks against the all-time greats, even in the NBA as well. I think that just speaks volumes to the player that she is right now. And I think also the player that she will become because she's so young. She has so much potential still left. And I'm excited to see where that takes her in her career. Mm -hmm. This was the best performance in a three-point history, in a three-point contest round, not just in WNBA three-point history, but NBA three-point history as well. And you think about all the three-point shooters there. Um, in the NBA. All right, point number two we go is one of those NBA three-pointers, the king himself, Stephen Curry, although we're not talking about his splashes that he's made on the hardwood, but the splashes that he made on the course last week, winning the American Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournament on Sunday with a walk-off eagle putt for the win up in Reno, Nevada. He also recorded a hole-in-one the day before during Saturday's second round. Yeah, DG, I know that we were kind of sending some highlights of this in our group chat of of Steph, and 
I don't know if you saw any more of this tournament on, on Twitter or social media or things of that sort, but uh, what, what did you think of Steph and, and his weekend? It, it seemed like he was just having so much fun out there. I think fun is like the operative word. I mean, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of this, but I did see the Steph Curry shots kind of make the rounds on, on threads and Twitter. Not yeah. threads. I, mean, I don't, I don't use threads. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I, I think, I think social media is kind of a funny, almost funny thing, but yeah, but yeah, but I, uh, I, I did see that. And, uh, um, the dude, I mean, I don't even know if he sprinted that has, has ever sprinted that fast on a basketball court as he did. Yeah. Uh, down that far three. I mean, the, I mean, you could have sworn he just won another NBA championship and yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. just with the way he was reacting. I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's one of those things where it's like guys who are athletic and play professional sports can do a whole lot of things that we just don't know about. And. I mean, it's it's crazy to see him play, you know, golf. I mean, obviously it's not like, you know, two sport athletes, Steph Curry, but you know, to play golf at that level and make shots like that, it's pretty crazy. I mean, golf's always one of those things where it's like, it looks so easy, right? You go to the driving range or something and you're like, I could hit a ball that far. And it's like, okay, I can't even hit straight. Like this, yeah. this, yep. this, 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 game, this game kind of sucks. Right. And two, uh, you think about the competition, Brevin, that he was facing. He had, Marty Fish coming in just behind at second place. Uh, you even have Steph's dad, Dell, finish tied for 11th, I believe, in this tournament. So, I mean, th- these guys, you know, this field altogether, I should say, primarily athletes here. Mm-hmm. Think about the makeup. But as DG said, that just goes to show how talented a lot of these people really are. And they're just so gifted in, in multiple sports here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen, you know, you mentioned... Marty Fish, you got Joe Pavelski, uh, Dallas Stars, part of that team that went to, that made that NHL Stanley Cup playoff run. You get the newest member, or one of the newest members of the New York Jets, Aaron Rodgers, inside the top five. 72-time LPGA Tour winner, Annika Sorenstam. There were plenty of NFL Hall of Famers, including Marshall Falk, who is in the top 15. Um, John Smoltz as well. Um, John Elway even competed last week, so um, plenty of names um, that were trying to um, get in Steph Curry's spot last week. All right, we go to point number three on the list. We go to another championship, this one taking place in Europe, and that is Wimbledon on the tennis courts, where world number one Carlos Alcaraz won a second Grand Slam in less than a year on Sunday taking out seven-time Wimbledon champ and world number two, Novak Djokovic, in five sets. Yeah, we've seen really just here generations coming at a time here in, in the tennis game, especially when we think about the men. You see that generation of Roger Federer, you know, the Andy Murray, uh, really, of that era. And you, you think how it's moved on from, from Rafa Nadal to Novak Djokovic, well, really, th- this seems like it's it's really just the the introduction of Carlos Alcaraz to the world, and obviously he's been around for quite some time now, um, despite being just twenty years old. But it just seems like now is the time where he's he's really breaking out. He earned that number one ranking by winning this uh, Wimbledon final here against Novak Djokovic and uh, DG. When you think about Carlos Alcaraz, I mentioned his age, twenty years old. I mean. It's pretty crazy because some people think Djokovic is, you know, the greatest of all time in their opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's one of those things where 
Um, I remember seeing a stat the other day about like the last Wimbledon winner since maybe it was like in the last 20 years. So it was literally like five people where it's like Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, um, Andy Murray, I think was one of them. Yep, um, yep. But I mean, it's like, geez, it's kind of like when you see that, all right, I know the stats kind of fading out, but when you saw that, uh, I know ESPN loves to flash all these random things uh, randomly on Instagram, but it's like, you see like, oh, the last, you know, 20 teams to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. And it's like Brady and Roethlisberger and Manning. And like, it's like the same dudes over and over again. And yeah, like you said, it's kind of a Carlos Alcaraz. I mean, the youngsters kind of ushering in a newer era of men's singles tennis, which is, it's, it's always exciting, right? I mean, kind of that changing of the guard. Sometimes you don't want to see these guys go, but um, you know, when you, when you see a youngster rise up to the occasion and win at that level, it's, it's fun. I mean, it makes you think about the future of the sport, which is, which is always a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Djokovic came into that Wimbledon final having won the last four um, gold medals at that event. So it tells you how much Alcaraz had to achieve in order to get wow. that Wimbledon victory uh, once again. All right, point number four, we continue to go across the world. The FIFA Women's World Cup has begun in Sydney, Australia, and Auckland, New Zealand. Each host team, both New Zealand and Australia, um, took, home the, took home the victories in the first two matches of this World Cup. Yeah, I mean, two games here that ultimately ended with 1-0 results. And I think both those games were, were really fun. I was able to catch a couple of those highlights there uh, of, of those victories. And it's cool that I think there wasn't just one opening game here. We had two opening games to this tournament and the co-hosts obviously taking part of that. I think that was a, a, a really nice uh, thing for FIFA to put on there. Really interesting. And even, even more interesting, I, I think coming out of all of this is uh, New Zealand ultimately winning this introductory match into the World Cup, and it's their first ever win in World Cup history. I mean, DG, that, that's got to be a pretty cool feeling for them because I believe they were heavy underdogs here. Yeah, I mean, to make literally history for your country is always exciting, right? I mean, it's funny. So actually, I was up kind of late last night and uh, I forgot what I saw. I think I got a notification about it. I'm like, oh, man, sorry, the World Cup's on. Yeah. And uh, turned it on, but kept dozing off, so I couldn't really watch a whole lot of it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, anytime you make history, it's special, right? I mean, you're at forever linked to, or that group of players is forever linked to being, you know, the first to do something for their country, which is always, you know, a prideful moment. Mm-hmm. New Zealand defeated Norway in that opening match 1-0, and then you saw Australia after that defeat Ireland 1-0, and then all who are... Australia and Ireland, they're both in Group B. We're going to see the other two teams in Group B later today between Nigeria and Canada. Then we're going to see the other two teams in Group A with New Zealand and Norway with the Philippines and Switzerland facing off. Yeah, and two, there was a shooting in New Zealand, I think about Mm -hmm. 20 minutes from where uh, the New Zealand match was being played. So, two, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of, you know, tourists coming down to, New Zealand and being uh, both there in Australia. Um, obviously, you, you definitely are concerned about player safety at, at that moment because I believe um, it was where that shooting happened was near where uh, Team Norway was actually staying. 
So that that's always something that puts things into perspective, these, these worldwide events coming together. So, yeah, you, you just hope something like that doesn't happen again. And, and this tournament, you know, everyone is able to be, you know, safe and just, you know, remain focused on, on the ultimate goal. And that's uh, being at the World, the World Cup ultimately here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you got the reigning champs, the United uh, Team USA. They're facing off against Vietnam tomorrow at 6 o'clock Pacific time. And before that, at 12.30 a.m. this morning, or later this morning, Friday morning, you got Spain and Costa Rica, Costa Rica facing off in Group C. So, Team USA looking to uh, go after, I'm pretty sure, a three-peat here uh, after their wins in 2019 and 2015 in these World Cups. All right, we go to number five. We go to some American football now where... We had some news behind some running backs in the NFL. Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, among others, have threatened to sit out of training camp amid stalemates over long-term deals. Yeah, this is a complicated situation because I think this really all started when Sean McVay moved on from Todd Gurley, and we saw you know the Rams really implement that plug-and-play, and then the Niners started doing it and all these other teams have done so ever since. And I, I think from that moment, you know, there's been guys like Le'Veon Bell who held out in the past. There's been other guys who uh, haven't really had their opportunity at running back. And that's because, you know, organizations realize they can just plug and play really anyone. You don't have to pay a guy necessarily. Obviously you have your uh, kind of outliers in that regard, like Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. But yeah, for the most part, man, it's it's tough to see these running backs not, get what they truly deserve. Um, but what these front offices have done have just been able to find loopholes in order to save them money and thus not giving uh, running backs really just that same kind of level of, of pay that say wide receivers have here. So DG, I mean, what do you think of this like current market status really? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at the running back position and I mean, look, a lot of those guys on that football field is, you know, you guys know, take a beating and running backs, especially man, that, that, that's a tough position to play. Um, You're leaned on heavily for a lot of different things. I mean, it's, and it's one of those things, right. Where it's like running backs at any moment can lose their starting job because of one, literally one play, you know, a fumble can cost you reps and open a window for somebody else to get that starting spot. Um, Sometimes running backs have to deal with battle lines and, take a beating and it's looked upon on them of like, Oh, well, this guy's only averaging, you know, two point, whatever yards of carry, but it's like, well, yeah, I mean, he's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage, you know, X amount of times. Um, So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's really a, a bad situation, right? I mean, a lot of these guys kind of have earned um, their contracts and um, you know, I remember reading that Saquon Barkley quote of saying, you know, he has the leverage and, of, of uh, what he can tell the giants and tell them to, I won't say the word on here, but you know, bleep yeah. off. And, and that that's his leverage. Cause he's Saquon Barkley. Right. I mean, he's, yeah. he was a first round, he was a top five pick for a reason. Um, One of the most exciting rookies when he came into the league and when healthy is one of the best running backs or one of the most dynamic players in, in the NFL. Um, It's funny. Cause like, I feel like my other, my other take on this uh, seeing this is a, from a fantasy perspective of uh in a, in a yeah. sense, like I understand, yeah. like 
like guys are going to do what they need to do to, to oh, secure their futures. Uh-huh. But at the same time, as somebody who likes playing fantasy football, I probably will not be drafting you just because one, like contract situations are so tricky, especially when it comes down to to the lead up to the seasons. And two, it's like I've I've always run into bad luck with guys who have you know sit out or miss a, a good portion of camp um, for for rightful reasons for them, and then come back and you know they're still kind of getting into the motions of things or they're a little slow out of the gate. And you know I so yeah so I mean I. Uh, Probably, I guess I'm showing my hand a little bit here. I don't know where I'll be drafting this year, but might might be staying away from Saquon and Josh Jacobs for for uh, for those early rounds of the draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you got Saquon Barkley too. Uh, I, I've been doing a couple of ESPN mock drives. Saquon Barkley's been going around the back end of that first round, yeah, and then Josh Jacobs towards the back end of that second round. So that's a lot of value that's um, you know on the table there. And then you think about. You put in aspect of um, Cowboys running back Tony Pollard. He's got the potential to be a top ten running back in PPR this year as well. And yeah. you know this also comes after we heard uh, back in June that uh, Austin Eckler was going to request a trade. So um, we're seeing this running back market taken to fruition um, right now with these um, holdouts. You know, especially realizing that you know these are players that are going to get the ball. 20 to 25, 30 times a game, um, whether it's uh, they're running it or they're catching it through the air. So, And then you look at receivers, they're maybe getting the ball 10 times a game. So it's just the disparity that's there right. money-wise compared to what they're doing on the field. So, yeah. So that is our Fast Five wrapping things up here, talking some NFL running backs with a little bit of fantasy football there but right now we're going to move on to some major league baseball a couple of pieces of news that came out this week one of the first things that came out was people now have the opportunity to buy stock in the atlanta braves with the stock names of the atlanta braves holding incorporated yeah i see i didn't even hear about this uh i don't even know how that works but wow that is pretty interesting so uh, they can pretty much invest in that ball club. And honestly, it, it seems like a good investment, right? Uh, second best record in the MLB, I, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Uh, news was made on Monday. Um, uh, it became official on Monday. And so, yeah, it's a, a unique opportunity to just be uh, – you don't have to have a full-on history of owning sports teams, and you got the opportunity to do so there um, with the Braves. So that would be a key thing to watch. Another thing is we had a another relief trade go down a couple days ago with relief pitcher Shintado Fujinami from the Oakland A's being traded to Baltimore for a minor leaguer. Yeah, honestly, not too familiar with Fujinami myself, but uh, DG, do you know, do you know anything about him, and, and do you have any thoughts about this trade? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still not I mean, not as familiar with him, but just kind of looking at the numbers, right? They don't look too appealing at first. Um, when you see what he's done this year, uh, ERA above eight in forty nine. In the third innings, 
Um, but I mean, just, and then it's one of those things where it's like, I know people in the kind of the new age rely a lot on advanced stats or, you know, like that stack has data and a lot of kind of old school yeah. folks will be like, well, who cares about exit velocity or this and that. But I mean, when you look at Shintaro Fujinami's page on Savant, 86% whiff rate, or I mean, uh, sorry, 86 percentile on whiff rate, um, fastball velocities, same thing, 83rd percentile. So, I mean, it seems like there's there's something there, right? I mean, we've seen that with guys before where um, they have kind of this, you know, one trait or a couple traits or one pitch that, you know, another team kind of looks at and says, like, you know, there's more potential to tap into with him. Um, Fujinami obviously goes from one of the worst teams in baseball to a team that's firmly set in the wild card spot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it looks like they're going to be play, uh, playing in October. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the Orioles are already starting to kind of augment that bullpen. Um, they had a guy with some good swing and miss to him. So we'll see what that does, right? I mean, yeah. that I think that that's kind of the shift that teams, contending teams, are pivoting towards. I mean, it, it's it's especially, I think, part of it's also – because of the way the new rules have affected um, shifts and kind of ground ball, I mean, ground ball pitchers, but I mean, swing and miss is swing and miss, right? When you're in the playoffs and you need to get out of a jam and you call somebody down from the bullpen. I mean, if you can get, if you have a guy with that, that capability to um, full hitters and, and get that, that whiff rate that you're looking for and get those strikeouts. I mean, that's takes that, you know, uh, lowers the risk of, you know, of an error of getting the ball in play, ball finding a hole, getting kind of babbit to death, right, when, with the batting average of balls in play. So, I mean, kind of, it, it means one of those things where it could be like a sneaky pickup for the Orioles, uh, especially given their, where they're at in the season and, and kind of what, what Fujinami offers with, with that aspect to, to miss bats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be an Orioles team that's going to look at you know, we know the, the back-end pieces are there with their two all-stars, you know, Felix Batista and Yannick Cano. You know, so it's just, you know, piecing it to get to those two, you know, every two nights, you know, every every night that you can when they're healthy. And so getting a piece like this is going to help bolster that pen um, to fill that sixth or seventh inning uh, down the stretch. And two, we are... Less than two weeks away from this trade deadline, and since we have DG here, he like I mentioned, he covers the Cardinals. I know he covers more of the minor league team, DG, but this is a Cardinals team where we didn't probably we expected them to be sellers in May, but it kind of became official within the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, it essentially became official on Monday. I mean, the writing was kind of on the wall. I know you mentioned. Uh, with what what happened in May or how they looked at the end of May or at the start of May, I should say. And um, it was bad. I mean, it was one of the uh, kind of under most underperforming Cardinals teams in history, right? Uh, Bill DeWitt III, who's uh, in front of Cardinal, I mean, son of the Cardinals chairman, Bill DeWitt Jr., um, called April a clunker of a month. I mean, uh, and the writing has been kind of on the walls with the way the year's been trending. They just, Cardinals just haven't been able to, put it together up until recently when now that they're riding a five game winning streak. Um, but still they're, you know, in fourth place in the NL central. And that's one of, you know, obviously one of the weaker divisions in all of baseball. Um, 
you know, and it's been a lot of different things. I mean, starting pitching has been a problem. Some of the pieces in the bullpen that were effective last year just haven't kind of had that same umph as, as the year before. Uh, obviously, there was kind of a, a debacle with Wilson Contreras and kind of what his role was on the team and being pulled from the catching position and and then inserted a couple of weeks later back as, as the Cardinals starting catcher um, and what they, you know, signed him for $87.5 million this last winter to do. Um, there's been some inconsistencies in the outfield. Some injuries have, have hurt them. Uh, a lot of the team was away from, from the World Baseball Classic. They had some of the most players in the WBC uh, compared to other major league teams, and that limited what reps looked like in spring and finding that right starting outfield um, for them. And that's kind of been a revolving door where, you know, for a good stretch, Tommy Edmond, who's a gold glove second baseman, uh, was their starting shortstop last year for for a good portion of the year, was their starting center fielder for pretty much the better part of of, of June until he got hurt before the All-Star break. So, I mean, there, there have been a lot of things. Uh, and and to, I mean, to Tommy Edmonds' credit, I mean, he, I mean, San Diego kid um, was excellent in center field. But, I mean, there's just been so much uh, moving parts and a lot of inconsistencies uh, with, with all of this. And then, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier, I mean, Monday, uh, Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mazalock, met with local media. And, and essentially a 30-minute session just ex- you know, uh, kind of laid out the Cardinals focus heading into the trade deadline where they're using this or the plans are to use this trade deadline to to kind of rebuild pitching at the minor league level and and build towards 2024, um, which is it's it's a it's a crazy shock. Right. I mean, and and, and I would expect them to kind of look for a higher level um, uh, pitching prospects, guys who can help out within the next year. I mean, so you're looking at guys who are in double triple A. Um, there are definitely trade candidates on the Cardinals who, who, who are, I mean, guys who should be interesting for other teams. I mean, Jordan Montgomery, starting pitcher, uh, Jack Flaherty as well in the rotation are a couple guys who are in walk years of their contracts who, um, are certainly candidate candidates to be, to be sent to contending teams if, if the deal's there. Um, Tyler O'Neill's another one who, you know, in 2021 wasn't sent, I mean, I think he was sixth in MVP voting. Um, had kind of a tough year last year with with injuries. Was injured for a good part of this year and is was activated today. Actually, um, as another guy who kind of offers some potential and 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 uh, could offer you know a a boost to a, a contending team. I mean, so I mean it'll, it'll be interesting to see what kind of return Cardinals get the Cardinals get for for guys who could be dealt. Um, but yeah, but I mean essentially the the front office has pivoted towards towards next year some of the players have have uh when they've spoken to to reporters have I mean Nolan Arnado is one of them who's uh been honest about not having time to play for next year of, of thinking playing for next year is a bad strategy there's obviously still hope for um within the clubhouse that this thing could be turned around over the next couple of weeks and and change that that tune of being sellers um Adam Wainwright's another one who uh just through a bullpen session on uh, on Tuesday, uh, we'll be throwing his a live VP uh, next week when team goes to Arizona. I mean, he said the same thing. I mean, he's been a part of a lot of Cardinals teams, a lot of contending teams, uh, and has seen how the Cardinals have used the trade deadline to kind of reshape things and contend. So to hear kind of a kind of a different tune to contend for next year and 
Obviously, he has said that this is his final season. Uh, he's looking to retire even after 19 years in the big leagues. Um, same thing, has hoped that, you know, the team can turn things around. But uh, it, it's it's one of those things, right, where you look at the, the playoff odds, right? You look at fan graphs and, and you look at, at, at baseball reference and you see the percentages and it's not good. It's not promising. Um, but, I mean, you have a couple of weeks to the trade deadline. Anything can happen. Um, but it just seems like kind of that that – in a way the the ship has kind of sailed for um for this team obviously you know you can go on a winning streak and 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 and, and change that but it, it it just kind of have the sense that the front office is still committed to looking towards next year which um so rare for the cardinals right i mean yeah. it's a mm-hmm. team under john mazalock has never had a losing season has always been at or above 500 um but you know, a lot of the the problems that they didn't address in the offseason really came back to hurt them this year. Mm-hmm. And, too, this was a division winner from a year ago, 193 games. And mm-hmm. you look at right now, they're, um, they've are they won eight of the last ten games, have won five in a row, for uh, which is a season the high. First, yeah, the first time mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. Currently, this is a Cardinals team that stands ten games under 500 at 43 and 53. They are... Ten and a half games back of the Milwaukee Brewers for the lead in the NL Central, and they're nine games back in the wild card. Yeah, and it's actually interesting just because uh, actually Nolan Arnato the other night post game, and he had a uh, I think this was after um, he had a walk off three run homer on on Tuesday. Um, really was was blunt about not being able to contend. Not I mean not that they can't contend in the wild card, but the realistic opportunity is going to be in the in the division, right? Because you have more games within the division left. Um and obviously some of those wild card teams are are also, I mean, a, a little bit further ahead in, in the standings. But um but I mean yeah, I mean obviously everybody kind of goes back to 2011 when the Cardinals were over 10 games out, start of August, start of September and and really made that comeback to win their most recent World Series. Um, but I mean, you, you look at a lot, you look up and down, I guess, at, at this roster right now as it stands. And, and it's one that's a lot of the same from last year, right? I mean, a lot of the guys returning were on the team last year. Um, and just, you know, that, that kind of that, 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 uh, just things haven't clicked overall. I think, I think there have been some, some standout performances this year. Um, I think Nolan Gorman was one of the the top performing players, obviously earlier this year. And then June hit and things just kind of tapered off for him. I mean, he was somebody who could have been an an all-star candidate as a reserve, Um, just power hitting second baseman. I mean, somebody who had improved on defense, cut down a lot of swing and miss, and then things just kind of hit a wall. Um, Jordan Walker is another one. I mean, Cardinals rookie, their top prospect who opened – who broke camp with them and was their opening day right fielder performs well, but hits the ball, hit the ball on the ground a lot earlier this, this year and ends up heading back down to Memphis, which kind of was a confusing move, went back down to AAA, um, struggled a little bit there and then figured things out and came back and has, has continued to perform pretty, uh, pretty consistently. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the, the focus really has been on the division for, for, for some of the people in that clubhouse, just because they understand that that that's kind of the the more likely chance of them being able to to get into the playoffs if they can right the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to keep track of the Central Central standings as it continues 
as the season progresses, including the Cardinals, if they can make that run in the NL Central trying to go out and trying to defend that NL Central crown. But right now we're going to move on to fair or foul, our three up, three down, our weekly segment. Kyle, you want to kick things off? Yeah, I'll start here. First, I'm going to take Josh Naylor for my one of my three up. Uh, over the past week, he has led the league in RBIs, and he's also done great in regards to his power because of that. He has four home runs, which is tied for the most of the league over the past week. So I'm going to go with Josh Naylor of the Cleveland Guardians, also hitting uh, 381 during that span. Josh Naylor with his brother Bo became the first set of brothers to hit a home run in a game last week. It was the first time since uh, BJ Upton and Justin Upton uh, about eight years ago. All right, that is a good selection there for me. I'm going to kick things off with I'm going to kick things off with the Baltimore Orioles. It's a team that I had among my three down two weeks ago when we did this, when they lost six of seven. Well, they turned that around, went on their eight-game winning streak, including five in a row to end the break after I put them on three down. And you see them uh, entering today with percentage points ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays for the NL Central lead. Um, at 58-37, and 37, a 6-11 winning percentage. They've won eight of their last 10 games despite um, losing the series to the Dodgers this past week at home. But this is a good Orioles team. They're young. they got ex- some experience that they're riding right now. And, um, you know, this is a good team that was that just lost 111 games just two years ago. All right, DG, who do you have among your three up? Um, I guess the first one, I'll go with the Mexican national team and uh, its new head coach, Jimmy Lozano. I mean, you look at, I mean, this last tournament, I mean, the Copa or Gold Cup, um, obviously, you know, it's not the, it's not the Euros. It's, it's competition. The level of competition is a little, I mean, not as, as high level, but, but still you look at where Mexico was at the start of the summer, right? Um, or not even the start of the summer, I guess you go back to November, where they really have an embarrassing showing at the World Cup stage. Um, Tata Martino, who everybody questions if she should have been the Mexican national, the head coach for the national team going into the World Cup. Um, I mean, I didn't feel like he took the best squad with him to Qatar. Um, yeah. A lot of questionable decisions out there, and they win one game, don't make it out of the group stage um, for the first time since 1986, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and really was a was kind of an embarrassment. I mean, for for the kind of the standard that's been around there. I mean, um, yeah, obviously he is not no longer the national team coach. They bring in Diego Coca, who led at least to back to back titles in Liga MX. Um, another, it was another kind of an interesting pick, just because. I mean, I, I support Atlas, so like it was cool to see like okay, the guy from the club team that I support is now the head coach of the national team. Yeah. Um, but just a lot of things did not work uh, and only managed six games. Uh, and one of them was the 3-0 loss to the U.S. Um, in the CONCACAF Nations League, which really just was an embarrassment for a lot of people. Um, he got released after that. And then, you know, they bring in Jimmy Lozano, who uh, coached Mexico to a bronze medal in Tokyo, has a lot of familiarity with those players. 
um, and really, really just kind of turn things around. Um, they win the gold cup, uh, some just have some decisive wins uh, in the group stage as well, and even in the uh, in the semifinals against uh, uh, Jamaica. And uh, I, I mean, it's definitely up just because a lot of people are really excited right now. I mean, Jimmy Lozano's contract is up, was up after the Gold Cup, and and uh, even players were celebrating on 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 Instagram, you know, after the celebration, and you could hear them chanting, you know, that hopefully he doesn't go. Um, so I mean, yeah, that that's my first up for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Second one, Kyle, who do you got? Yeah, I'm going to go here with the Miami Marlins. And this has been a team that has really just been competitive all year long. We all know uh, of Luis Arias, what he's been able to do at the plate for them. But really, it's it's just that entire supporting cast around him that's been able uh, to do things well. But uh, I actually, uh, you know... This recent stretch, though, not good enough. Two and eight over the course of the past week. We talked about the Cardinals. Cardinals recently sweeping them. We saw the Orioles sweep them in the series prior to that. So over the course of the past week, it hasn't been good. So everything they've been able to accomplish to this point just has not really uh, worked out to that point. Um, So uh, I'm going to go with uh, them actually as one of my uh, three down. Okay. Um, one of mine for the three up, I want to go a former Oriole, current Padre in third baseman Manny Machado in the month of July has turned things around, hitting 327, 14 games, nine home runs this month, 21 RBIs, um, 18 hits, been able to starting to see the ball a lot better this month. Always took Max Scherzer deep, not just once, but twice, um, on that final game before the all-star break, we saw him hit. Um, three home runs in, uh, um, two home runs in Philadelphia, which is key to help keep those Padres in games, keep them win that first game back after the All-Star break. So I got Manny Machado here in among my three up. DG, who else you got among your three up? My three up, um, this one, I mean, keep it, uh, keep it a little Cardinals related. So Mason Wynn, their top prospect right now. Um, shortstop prospect. He's included in the top 100 prospects in all of baseball. Um, this last week, uh, in five games, batting 455, uh, 1297 OPS. It's really, really big week for him. Um, and then it's really essentially been like a big three months for, for Mason Wynn. I mean, he finished the first month of the season in AAA. He's 21 years old. So he finished the first month there, um, batting 224. But since the start of May's, has 302 average, 846 OPS, has cut down his strikeouts a ton, uh, walked a little bit more. Uh, part of that, I, it, from talking with him, is part of like a, a understanding the zone with like the automated ball strike system used in AAA and using that in a way to, to benefit him and knowing, you know, kind of what the ABS system looks like. Um, but yeah, just more comfortable at bats for him. Um, he's a guy who's a big piece of the Cardinals' future. And will be kind of an interesting uh, um, look at shortstop next year, just to see kind of how how things go. Uh, it doesn't sound like there's a there's a chance he'll be up in September of after, depending on how things go, regardless win or lose. But but yeah, I mean a big week for him and uh, in, in the strides that he's making. Mm-hmm. All right, Kyle, third among your three up, who do you got? Yeah, so I realized I, I said one of my one down to follow that. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say my two uh, ensuing three ups here. 
So we got Josh Naylor is my first. Obviously, I mentioned that. San Francisco Giants are my second pick here just because of what they've been able to accomplish after the break. They swept the Pirates, and they also split a tough series against the Reds, obviously, uh, today and really yesterday as well. Not able to uh, edge out uh, a couple games there, but really what they showed before that um, was really encouraging, especially in that Pirate series, just being really able to uh, hold that opposition to uh, a low level of run scored. And uh, I think, you know, especially being on the road for these two series, especially for this Giants team in their division, competing with the Dodgers who are starting to get hot right now as well, it's huge for them. And my third point here on my three-up list here, I'm going to go with Mickey Moniak. I mean, this guy's been really impressive as a late for this Angels team. If it's not Shohei Otani at the plate, it's pretty much going to be Mickey Moniak right now. Hitting 444 since the All-Star break, really, here. Um, five runs driven in from him. He's been effective in the outfield as well, making a lot of plays. And I, I think uh, – Really, during this this stretch, too, it's just been his concentration and his focus. His contact is really showing. 12 hits since the All-Star break. He's been really trying to find things and, and get things going at the plate. And I think he's been really effective. Mm-hmm. All right, Gigi, who do you have him on your three-up, your final one? Well, my final three-up, it's more of a uh, – well, I guess it would be Shohei contract for – whatever he gets next year. Um, (laughs) I know we'll, I know we'll talk about trade deadline in regards to the angels in a little bit, but I mean, this last week hits a couple of clutch homers against, against the Yankees. Yeah. Um, Still just continues to hit the ball extremely well. I mean, doing Shohei things. I mean, leading the league in homers, uh, leading the league, I think in strikeouts per nine at the same time, still, man, I mean, doing unicorn things. It's, 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 it's crazy to see. And, I think the more we see of him this season, the bigger that number is going to rise to for what he's going to get this winter. And yep. that is like up and up of, yeah, the three up. It's just, man, it's it's insane to see what he does, and it's going to be insane yep. to see what he gets. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Shohei Otani was the American League Player of the Month for the month of June. For me, my final um, – among this three up, I'm going to go with the Giants here, and I'm going to pinpoint on their rookie catcher and Patrick Bailey, a name that probably we didn't expect to see among this Giants team coming in coming in this year. We thought it was going to be Joey Bart, but Patrick Bailey has stepped up since making his debut in mid-May. He's hit about 285 since coming up and being able to control that pitching staff, and a big reason why this Giants team is in the running for um, a wild card spot. They're twenty eight and fourteen. Um, entering play on Tuesday or on Monday, I should say, before they went to Cincinnati to start that series, and uh, it's been a big part of, like I mentioned, of why the Giants are continuing to play good baseball. All right, so we move on from our three up to our three down. Kyle's mentioned the Marlins. Kyle, who else you got among your three down? Yeah, so we got the Marlins that I mentioned, uh, two and eight in their last ten games. Really struggled since that All Star break. Obviously, I'm also going to go with the Yankees here. And like DG said and alluded to when talking about Shohei Otani, we're going to touch on them a little bit more here in just a few minutes. But yeah, I mean the Yankees really just a team that has a falter as of late, and this is a really competitive division that they're a part of. But I don't think 
any of us expected them to be in last place at this point in the season. Uh, two and eight in their last 10, uh, just like the Miami Marlins. And when, when you think about what this Yankees team has really struggled with, um, it, it, it's just their consistency at the plate. And we saw it in this recent series here against the Angels. Um, only able to put up seven runs here in this three-gamer. And that's just not what, what you want to see out of a team that's still trying to fight for a wild-card spot or even the division lead there in the AL East. Mm-hmm. All right, DJ, who do you got among your three down? Yeah, well, I guess to kind of build off of that, I put Carlos Rodon on there. I mean, yeah. obviously it's tough to to miss a lot of time with injuries, and especially in the predicament of being a big free agent signing on a contending team. Comes back, makes an okay start, um, then just kind of struggles. And we, and it's, I mean, his most recent one Wednesday against the Angels, just walked a lot of guys, didn't have a good outing, um, blows the kiss to Yankees fans sitting there. <laughs> down that first base side. And it, it, and to me, it's like one of those things where it's like, I mean, gestures are gestures, but like team struggling fans are upset. Obviously players are frustrated. Um, and then that happens. And it's just one of those things where it's like, it's just a recipe for, for a little bit more drama. Um, yeah. I know we, the, the one thing I can kind of allude or kind of call back to is that 2021 when we saw uh, Mets players, you know, booing their fans, I guess, as their own oh, form of protest. It, it, to, like, to me, it's just those, those things just never end well. Um, yeah. And Carlos Rodon, I mean, we'll see if, as he kind of continues to, to really get settled in at, at game speed at the major league level, if he can correct things and, and do that. But, I mean, it was just a tough, tough outing, tough, tough kind of off-field uh, stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to kind of follow on that same boat. And go with the Yankees here among the first point of the three down for me. And I'm not going to pinpoint, though, Carlos Rodon. I'm going to pinpoint their first baseman in Anthony Rizzo. Um, I saw this graphic on MLB Network. His stats since May 21st, minimum 200 plate appearances. So that's out of 170 qualifiers. Anthony Rizzo is hitting just 181. And out of those 170 qualifiers, that ranks 166. Uh, OBP is at 281. That ranks 147th. He is Anthony Rizzo slugging 223, which is second to last, and a weighted runs created plus of 46, which is third to last. So that's a big reason why right in the middle of that lineup where the Yankees have lost um, two of their last 11 games. All right, Kyle, who do you got among your three down? Yeah, so... Obviously, we're moving on to my last point here, and that's mm-hmm. going to be Max Muncy. And this is a guy who we were praising a lot here on the show near the front part of the 2023 MLB season, Brevin, because he was really performing well at the plate. But as of late, he's just not looked good at all. Uh, he's been hitting uh, .083 since the All-Star break. He does have a home run in that span, but... Uh, nine strikeouts during that as well, and he's only been able to get only one other hit besides that home run during that stretch of uh, 24 at-bats. So uh, things not looking good for a guy who was essentially powering that Dodgers lineup when they were struggling for the early portion of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
All right, DG, who do you got else among your three down in addition to Carlos Verdon? Uh, this one I'll try not to, to get on my soapbox too much, but Liga MX, <laughs> Liga MX I have on my down. Um, it, it, it's been a, it's been a tough last few years for the, for the, uh, for Mexican soccer in terms of growing it and like in the right way. Yep. It's kind of, it's kind of a stalled in a sense. Um, and as excited as I am to see, uh, the league's cup, right? MLS versus League MX, uh, Club America, the Yankee, you know, Baycor, essentially the biggest Mexican soccer club are coming to St. Louis and I'm, it's cool to go see them play right against STL city. Um, but it's, it's one of those things, right. Where it's like, it, it's kind of a tournament that feels really more geared towards profit than development and competition. Right. Um, there's obviously, there's always rumors in the summer that Mexico is going to return to Copa Libertadores, who it's Conmebol's club tournament, um, right. which they were a part of up until I think like 2016 or 17. And they are apparently not. So, um, man, it, it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's, it, it'll be a fun, fun tournament, I think, uh, to see some teams play. Obviously, Messi against Cruz Azul this Friday is going to be a pretty interesting game with, you yeah. know, in Miami versus, versus Azul. But, but man, it, it's, it's just kind of hard to, to see that progress be made. Um, and then when you have tournaments like this, right, that are in the makings and games aren't even being played in Mexico, it's all being played in the U.S. Um, you get that sense that like it's that 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 progress isn't going to be made anytime soon unless things radically change. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we will see what happens there with Liga MX. For me, I come back to baseball to finish off my three down with uh, Seattle Mariners outfielder uh, Jared Kelnick, a familiar name to Kyle, was our huh. um, was a answer on an incorrect trivia answer. That nice. I keep telling myself not to get back to because that was incorrect, trying to get Julio Rodriguez instead. But the <laughs> um, reason why I want to get to Jared Kelenic was um, in the bottom of the ninth yesterday, uh, Jared Kelenic was up uh, with runners in first and second. He was a tying run um, at the plate facing Jerron Duran, and he had. A, uh, stri- uh, struck out looking, and after he had struck out, when out, he kicked the cooler. And unlike Hassan Kim, who who just jammed his toe, he broke his foot. And uh, you think about things not going team's way. The Mariners are another example with the Padres, the Cardinals have put um as well. Um, so yeah, I got Jared Kalnick here. Hasn't been doing that well. Has been a Familiar face to the three down this year, um, yeah. as well. So, yeah. uh, I got Jared Kelnick here among this three down. Yeah, and the thing is, he's actually been doing pretty well lately. I mean, he's mm-hmm. hitting, he's hitting like two fifty this year, which I'm pretty sure is the highest mark of his career. Because last year he was hitting one like ninety something, one eighty. Like it was not going well for him. So, I mean, recently he's found his, his footing, but not not to make a joke about that. <laughs> but not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Hasn't been going quite that way for Jared Kernick, has it? Well, recently, but. All right, DG, you get to wrap us up here among the three up, three down. Who do you got on your three down? 
Um, this one, I, I think we all might be a little bit down on as a SDSU not leaving the Mountain West. Yeah. Um, obviously, the insane tournament run, dominance among a lot of sport. I mean, throughout different collegiate sports, right, this past year and in years past, and felt like there was a lot of momentum that this is the year that SDSU was going to uh, be in the Pac-12 and join a Power 5 conference, and obviously we don't see that happen, um, which is kind of a bummer in a sense. Obviously, there are a lot of moving parts to, to all of this, but, um, you know, it, it's cool to see them still dominate in their in, in the Mountain West, but you do want to see them take that next step and, and be really that that power program. I mean, they show it in the winning percentages and in the, you know, in the sample size and small samples of playing against other top programs. But, you know, you want to see that more often. And hopefully, I mean, we'll see them them make, you know, migrate and uh, kind of get that boost. But I mean, kind of a bummer to not see that that happen this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this comes after making a national championship run um, in the final four this past April. You saw softball team make super regionals for the first time in um, school history. You saw the women's basketball team go to the NIT for the first time in eight, nine years. You saw um, plenty of success. Uh, football goes to another bowl game, continues their stretch of bowl runs. Yeah. Um, you know, plenty to go through. Um, and then you see them remain in the Mountain West. Yeah, I think uh, if anything, they'll probably get out in like two or th- I think three years is even more likely at this point. So, yeah, unfortunately, it's it's all about the waiting game. And you know, I, I think a lot of people thought that going into a new conference would probably have, have taken much longer uh, without that national championship run. But I don't know. It kind of turns out it, it might be the kind of same end result here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think one of the things that it just makes it more frustrating is that it's, there was a lot of buildup this like over this past spring and summer that it was going to happen. Right. Yeah. Or like you even have like a Dilla Dilla Torre, you know, the school's president kind of alluding to like, Oh, is an announcement coming or there's like, there's like things like kind of signs pointing to it. And then it just doesn't happen like that. That's just kind of a, a, a bummer. Yeah. Um, but I mean, well, I mean, hopefully, as you said, in, you know, the next couple of years, they make that jump and they, you know, hold their own in, 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 in a power five conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We will wait to see. Mm-hmm. Ho- hopefully uh, they make that jump before Bronny leaves uh, LA. <laughs> so he can, he can come to the Mesa for a road game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would actually to... be crazy. And then he'll get to face off against former Trojan, Rudy Sticks of Waters. That's right. Six mm-hmm. men. Yep. All right. We're going to um, move on from SDSU. We're going to stay in the same region. We're going to go to some party baseball. First, going to touch on a SDSU commit, but then decided to go to the pros. That is Joe Musgrove. Um his last 10 starts have just been phenomenal in addition to starting pitching that we've seen as of late with Michael Walker, Seth Lugo, Dude um, Darvish for his good starts, and Blake Snell. Um, in Joe Musgrove's last 10 starts, he's 8-0 with a 1.6 ERA in 61 in the third innings. He's only allowed 12 earned runs, struck out 61, so about one inning, one strikeout per inning is allowed just two homers. 
and has walked nine in that span ball, limiting opposing hitters to a batting average of 228. Hmm. Yeah, all good numbers for him. And uh, clearly he has been the leader of this, you know, really hot rotation, like you said, Brevin. And I think it's even more important to have, you know, significant outings from guys like Blake Snell, guys who necessarily haven't been able to consistently put it all out there in the past. But now uh, you see really everyone starting to kind of wake up in regards to that rotation and, and what they've been able to accomplish uh, so far this season. I think maybe the all-star game, the all-star break, I should say, uh, could maybe even pay dividends for this team just because of uh, just a little bit of time off and, and trying to find their stride again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and two, this comes after a week where the Padres lost 304 in a three-day stretch in Philadelphia with that Saturday game being a doubleheader, but then they respond taking two of three in Toronto. And this also comes after some moves that have been made uh, to the depth pieces of their roster. That includes um, Rugnet Odor being DFA'd on Tuesday, um, Austin Nola and Brandon Dixon being sent down to Triple El Paso, um, which we saw Alfonso Rivas and Taylor Colway being promoted. Also had Robert Suarez make his return from the 6CDIL, and as a result, Matt Waldron was optioned back to Triple El Paso. So you're seeing um, some of these moves and these changes to the depth pieces and um, within this roster, both from a pitching perspective in the bullpen and also towards the bottom of that lineup. Yeah, you think about teams who have underperformed. I mean, we kind of talked about that earlier. You bring up the Padres, the Mets, teams of that sort. And DG, you know, the Padres, like like I said, they've had their struggles at, at short times this year. But, I mean, what have you kind of thought so far of their season? And, and, and what do you think about the position they're in now? I mean, it's been kind of a, a roller coaster of a season, I'd say. I mean, you look at the standings and there's 10 back of the division. I mean, Ball's card is definitely – Attainable six and a half back and what's today, July 20th. So, I mean, figure a couple games really, it's kind of a funny thing to think about, but it's like a couple games essentially a month over the next, yeah. you know, stretch and, and you make up that ground in the wild card race. Joe Musgrove obviously providing stability in the rotation along with Blake Snell, who's, you know, pitching, uh, pitching, uh, well right now. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I think part of it's, uh, you just need to find that consistency with, with some of that, the, the, those core players, right? Manny Machado kind of had a, had a, had a interest. I mean, just with injuries, with, with inconsistencies at the plate, it's been a little bit struggle for him. And like Brad mentioned, things are uh, looking better now, but yeah, I mean, it, it, there's definitely time, but when you look at the calendar and you look at where they're at and the standings that they're, I mean, they've underperformed, but they're still one of the, one of those teams that can, make up that ground and, and kind of course correct before things get too out of hand. Um, and obviously I think, I think Bob Melvin is, is one of those experienced managers. He's managed a lot of, uh, obviously managed them to the playoffs last year. Yeah. Uh, took, you know, a lot of those ACE teams to, to Walt Carter division wins uh, and definitely has the cachet, has the experience to do that. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do at the deadline just because I mean, the fall, I mean, you look at what they did last year, right? They made the biggest splash out of everybody, and they traded a, that prospect hall for Juan Soto, and it's worked out um, in their favor. Uh, I mean, 
Well, Hosoto struggled a little bit too, but I mean, you know, was an all-star this year and played at the level he, he, he should be playing at. Um, but I mean, when you, when you look at some of the moves they could make um, and kind of the resources they have, cause you know, you have to give up some to get some, yeah. um, it, it'll be kind of an interesting deadline for them to see what, what moves they make and, and how they do it. Especially everybody knows AJ Preller has been one of the more uh, aggressive GMs in baseball over the last few years. Um, but to see what, what they do with, with kind of what they have at the farm and what they're willing to give up will be um, kind of an interesting interesting uh, couple weeks for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will see what happens. With the Padres, uh, move up the five up towards Disneyland, the Angels. They allowed 28 runs across three-game series against the Astros this past weekend, They took uh, where they took one out of three. Um, plenty of run support. Uh, against that series that ended with a Kyle Tucker games game winning diving catch on Sunday Night Baseball. Yeah, that was a pretty wild game to be shown on ESPN for uh, I think the first time the Angels have been on there all year, maybe the second time. In fact, uh, not entirely sure, but yeah, I mean, just really it comes down to the games within these two series. I think these were the two most chaotic really series we've seen all year long from this Angels team and being able to kind of gut one out and, and, and sweep the Yankees in the ensuing series after the Astros was what was most important for this team because you mentioned that tough loss on Sunday night, Revan. Well, the night before they were able to really just pull things together in the clutch and, and, and they uh, had a massive comeback victory then didn't necessarily resonate into Sunday there, but this Angels team, as I mentioned, going into a series against the Yankees thereafter, uh, that Monday night win was really important. They edged out the Yankees by one run there. Um, that was also an extra innings win where Michael Stefanik uh, came alive and, and came in as a pinch hitter, uh, stepped up when he needed to, got the job done. And the next two games really dominated by starting pitching. I think that was the main story. And uh, that's what this team needs, too. It was a uh, 1.93 ERA uh, combined total from those starters in this Yankee series. So that was what was key for this team. But uh, still a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you had them respond with a sweep of the New York Yankees. I'm pretty sure it was the first Angels sweep against the Yankees, I think I saw 2009. So a little bit of history within that three-game sweep for the Halos. Yeah, but, I mean, I like to your point, Kyle, I mean, the starting pitching over those last couple games, I mean, with Griffin Canning and Chase Silsleth, um, this, with swing and miss stuff, man. Yeah. Swing and miss stuff will, will take you places. I mean, Griffin Canning, 12 strikeouts, the 12 on, on Tuesday and, like, five and two-thirds innings. Yeah, because he, he threw like 120 some odd pitches, 25 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. and then Silsleth comes out what Wednesday and strikes out. I think it was 10 in like four and two thirds. Yeah, um, was- I remember seeing. Uh, 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 I think it was like it's called strikes plus like whiff rate, and it was like above 40, percent which is insane. I mean, you're landing or getting a swing and miss on about 50 percent of your pitches. Yeah, it, you're going to find success. I mean, yeah, I mean it. It, 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 it's a bounce back they needed, right? I mean, things are trending downward, heading into the All-Star break. Kind of came out flat. Obviously, you have that tough Sunday night loss. But, I mean, yeah. 
Now you got a couple of, uh, of, of win- really winnable series against Pittsburgh and Detroit. So this is a chance to, to keep up pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an Angels team, like you mentioned, right around 500 right now, one game above 500, but the injuries continue to threaten the Angels. Uh, Anthony Rendone with his shin, Joey Dell with his bleak, were both placed on last Friday. Another oblique injury for Zach Neto, and he's uh, has been back full time in the lineup since the All Star um, All Star break. Kyle, what are your thoughts about Zach Neto and his return? Yeah, he, he's been the guy they need. He's been consistent, uh, one of the best gloves in the infield right now. And I think just having his presence back is ultimately what they need. I mean, still still some things to figure out at the plate in his return. A little bit of a slow start, but. That, that's not a concern because we, we saw what he did but before his oblique strain. So I, I, I think that's that's what's really important, just getting more pieces back in this lineup that uh, they didn't have three weeks ago when they went on that uh, the beginning of their losing streak, really. Mm-hmm. And you also had a couple of players um, stepping up. You got Matt Dice behind the plate. You got Michael Stefanik, Trey Cabbage. Um, Kyle, what thoughts to – um, that trio of angels and their success recently. Yeah, we talked about Michael Stefanik earlier. Obviously, his his walk off hit the other night that was huge. Mm-hmm. Trey Cabbage, I mean, DG. This is a guy who's been around for quite some time within the Angels organization, huh? Yeah, and I mean the, the year that he's having. I mean, just keeping up with with what Cardinals prospects have done this year in terms of hitting homers. Trey Cabbage and Joe Dell's names were right there. I mean. Yeah, uh, kind of atop those those minor league homer leaderboards. Um, didn't didn't really learn a whole lot about him, but I mean the power's there. I think sometimes we can kind of give you a little bit misguided though. Yeah, um, Pacific Coast League and ball tends to carry like crazy out there, but I mean was keeping pace with some of the best home run hitters in, in minor league baseball, and after you know a lot long time, definitely got earned his call up to the majors. Yeah, I mean, he's looked good at the plate, too. The other night, he had three hits against the Astros, and uh, mm-hmm. every every plate appearance he was in. And um, Right now, he, he's looking good. I mean, so far in his career, I mentioned those three hits. Um, four so far within a five-game stretch. So if he if he sticks around as a death piece, I mean, he, he's been somewhat serviceable so, so far. Yeah, yeah, especially with just kind of how much of a – I, I would say like a revolving door it's been for for a lot of position players on the Angels just because of injury, right? Yeah. I mean you need you need depth at any level or at any position, but guy gets an opening, gets called up and performs well. I mean, you can has a chance to stick around, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so with that the Angels, they're four and a half games back. Oh, the wild card, uh still looking up to the Yankees, the Red Sox. And their AL West foes, the Houston Astros, for that third wild card spot. They're nine games back of the division lead by the Texas Rangers. What are we going to see? You know, as we we t- kind of talked about this last week, but how much does last week change in terms of, or how much is within the last week changed about the the, the trade aspect of what this Angels team is going to do at the deadline? Yeah, I, I, I don't really know because it ultimately comes down to, you know, really this upcoming series here like this weekend against the Pirates. I think that's that's what's key. It's it's one game at a time. 
and uh, just looking at the the positive outlook that you have right now. I mean, you're coming off a, a series sweep. You have the opportunity to go off uh, the uh, you know what they've been doing so far, getting back over that 500 threshold at least for now. Um, just got to continue working your way up from there. And I think just fighting for a wild card spot, that's, that's what you need to do at this point. And I don't know if that involves trading Shohei Otani, but DG, we talked about this earlier. Owner of the team, Artie Moreno, has pretty much made it clear that they're not going to sell Otani before the deadline. So it's just honestly a guessing game at this point when, when you think about the outlook because I think the only chance in which they do sell him is if they lose most of these upcoming games, I think. Yeah, I think they'd have to be in a spot where they're just like visibly like out of it, right? I mean, yeah, I the I, I think you alluded to it, like the, the division, Texas, and I mean, Texas has a strong lead on that. I think the Angels are nine games back. Houston's, you know, I think about four, four and a half. So, I mean, that doesn't look likely, but I mean, four and a half back in the Walls card for the third spot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've kind of closed the gap between you and the Yankees with this last series. You have kind of a softer portion of the schedule coming up with the Pirates Definitely. and the Tigers. Um, I mean, if if there's an opportunity to, in a way, for a team to prove it that they are going to be contenders, I mean, this is the stretch, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I we've seen that before, right? I think 2021, the Cubs kind of come to mind where they – I think they lost about 11 in a row right before the all-star break, I mean, for the mm-hmm. trade deadline. Um, and then had this huge fire sale where Chris Bryant goes to San Francisco, Rizzo goes to New York, Bias yeah. goes to, to New York as well. Um, and Craig Kimbrough, I forgot where he went, but he was traded too. Um, okay. But, uh, but yeah, but I mean, the, the, like you, like you mentioned, this, this stretch can kind of make or break, uh, what this team is going to look like after the trade deadline. Um, I I don't know if I, – I just don't get the sense that, like, I mean, just from the outside outsider's perspective of, of the Angels being able to make a splash, right? Um, I, I, I think, obviously, they'll get Trout back whenever he's back. I mean, if they're still in it, then obviously that's a huge boost. Um, but – but man, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Cause like the, the thing that's working against them is that they're kind of like on that fringe of being a playoff contender or pretender. Cause yeah. Cause I mean, if you know, they're squarely leading a division or squarely in a, in a firmly in a, in a wild card spot, then it's really like a no doubt, but yeah. you know, you're kind of hovering around 500 and everybody outside of across baseball is saying, sell Shohei, sell Shohei. Trade him, get what you can for him, because you're not going to get anything when he walks away. Obviously, we don't know what that'll look like in December. Um, but man, I, I it just you just get the sense that you know you kind of have to see things through. Like you have this unicorn on your team, you're right in the the the, the mix of the wild card race. You got to you know you got to kind of augment that that team to to add some depth. Yeah. Uh, maybe they land a starting pitcher out there who can you know, take the ball every five days and give you a quality start. But, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they've, they've gotten some guys back from, from, uh, from the IL Zach Neto, Matt Moore comes to mind as well, who was pitching yep. uh, effectively before he got hurt. 
But man, it'll be a. I think all eyes will be on Anaheim over the next couple of weeks. I mean, and, and seeing what they do. So it's. Yeah. It'll be a interesting time. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk some Open Championship golf, the final major of 2023 taking place in England. We're gonna get into some NFL. DeAndre Hopkins finally coming off the board. We're gonna talk some NFL Madden ratings for 2024. Um, and then we'll get into trivia focused on Shohei Otani. So that's all coming up next here on Down the Line. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 110, reporting this here on Thursday, July 20th, just after 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the West Coast. I'm joined once again by Revan Honda and our special guest today, Daniel Guerrero, who is a writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You can follow him on Twitter at Guerrero. We got into our Fast Five, got into our recent sports news of the past week. Also broke down the latest in the MLB. That includes uh, our talk regarding our free up, free down segment. We also got into some Cardinals, the latest regarding them as well, because Daniel, obviously, DG covers them. And so we got into the latest and how they're doing 10 games back of the lead right now in the NL Central. As I mentioned, we got into our three up, three down. We broke down the latest there before getting to our Padres and Angels latest. And now let's get into the 2023 Open Championship here, Brevin. This being held at Royal Liverpool in Hoylake, England. Uh, first round started today, obviously. Uh, what did we see from this first round? And uh, I know that you had some predictions. So how, how did those results compare so far to what you kind of thought? Yeah, the first round, I thought, there's names up there that you have never seen before, and you're like, how did they get there at yeah. um, at 500 par? I mean, we get an amateur, out of all people, who's one of three leaders um, in Crystal Lamprecht, a senior from Georgia Tech, um, yeah. atop the leaderboard. was an All-American last year at Georgia Tech. Um, you also got um, an Englishman himself, and Tommy Fleetwood tied at 500, and you got uh, Emiliano Grillo and the... Charles Schwab challenge um, back in May. All those three there top the leaderboard. Um, among the official world golf rankings, the, number, the highest player is Wyndham Clark, at, um, number 10 in the world golf rankings. He's tied for seventh right now at three under par. You got Max Homa there at three under par as well. Number eight in the rankings, Jordan Spieth at two under. Um, PG champion. Uh, PG Championship winner Brooks Koepka is at one under par with Patrick Cantlay. Well, number one, Scotty Scheffler is also there at one under with Xander Shoffley, the former Aztec. Um, Victor Hovland, world number five, is at one under par. And then you get uh, Roy McElroy at even par. You get um, John Roms at um, 
it was John Rahm. I think he was two over. Yeah, Rahm's two over, so plenty of surprising names here. It just shows how challenging, of course, Royal Liverpool is. Yeah, and of course, it's only the end of the first round for now, so anything mm-hmm. can uh, change within the course of even one round. But yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, you reading out those names, some very interesting. I know that your picks uh, to win included Roy McElroy, Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Sweet, and Victor Hovland. A lot of uh, those names on uh, your list that you uh, wrote in your pre-tournament picks on Sports Not Brevin um, were within, you know, only a few strokes here. Yeah, that's the key. You know, these these players, they know how to win. They won before, and they know that it's just not 18 holes that's going to win you a tournament. You got to play all 72 in order to try and host a major tournament. And we know for a lot of these players, it comes quicker than others. Comes comes longer. We see. Yeah, I mean, Rory McIlroy hasn't won won a major in nearly a decade. So it goes yeah. to show you how much um, these major championship victories come far and feel. Definitely. And uh, DG, have you watched any golf recently? Have you seen anything interesting on Twitter beyond what we saw with the American Century Championship last weekend? No, uh, no, I haven't. Whole lot, but I did click on uh, this the open leaderboard, and you're. I mean, you have to kind of scroll down to see a lot of like the recognizable names, man. Yeah, like Jason Day, tied forty eight, that one over. Adam Scott, one over, tied for forty eight. Ricky Fowler, same thing, one over. Go even lower, and it's like, yeah, is it, uh, Colin Morikawa, two over. Yeah. Like Bryson DeChambeau, who everybody knows because he has, I only really know him. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of try to keep up with golf a little bit, but I also know he has a lot of beef with Brooks Kepka for I don't reasons I don't know why, but sitting at three over, it's like, geez, definitely, is a, tough, definitely is a tough course. Mm-hmm. Justin Thomas, 11 over par. But Yeah. Jeez, John Rahm, three, like you said, three over. Mm-hmm. Tough one out there. Yeah, yeah that's for sure, and, and that showing. But like you said, anything can change within the course of even one day. So we'll fill you in on the winner and really the top ten or even the more interesting names, uh, I would say, here as we go on within this 2023 Open Championship. And as I continue, we'll bring that to you next week on down the line here. But now let's move on to the NFL. And we recently just had some uh, somewhat notable news here coming out of the league. I would say it was expected, but uh, maybe not as quickly as it actually happened here. And that is the Washington Commanders have officially been sold. So uh, Dan Snyder, his era after 24 years, uh, now over in Washington. Um, apparently the sale still needs to formally close, but the agreement is fully there. And it's been interesting to see how this has all played out because it's taken a long time. Roger Goodell has already taken a photo with the new, uh, pretty much the leader of this new ownership group, Josh Harris. He said, a new era of Washington football is here. It's time to get to work. Uh, the NFL fined Dan Snyder $60 million as a result of the findings in this Mary Joe White investigation. And there's a 23 page report 
that is uh, regarding this coming out for the public soon. So it's been a dramatic day in Washington and there's been a lot of notable information, but this was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you see, you look back at Dan Snyder's 24 seasons as an owner, six playoff appearances, just two playoff wins. And yeah. a number of off field um, yep. issues. I mean, yeah, I mean, it'll be good to see a new uh, ownership group take charge. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be a, it's a new era in Washington, D.C. when it comes to commanders football, right? Yep. Huh? You know, Brian, I, I feel like since we've started down the line, we have sporadically kind of talked about Dan Snyder and really huh. just all of his problematic antics. Hmm. But now it's pretty much come to an end. And, and I, I think that's, for me, it's kind of hard to believe just because it's been hard, such a long, drawn-out process yep. to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about the sexual harassment issues. You think about, even when we were talking about the NFLPA report cards and the commanders being at the bottom of that, of that of all those 32 teams. Yeah. Um, and, it was, and ownership was just one part of it. But it's stems from the ownership, whether it's the facilities to having a million quarterbacks, it feels like, um, every single week, you know, from whether it's Taylor Heineke, whether it's Carson Wentz, you know, you could, you know, all these different quarterbacks that have played in a commander's uniform in the last 20, um, 24 seasons. It's, uh, been crazy to think about what's happened in the nation's capital. Yeah, and when you think about Washington too, I mean their quarterbacks—they really had one in RG three when he was in his prime, yep. and when he obviously suffered that knee injury, that was the, the end of his tenure there. And I feel like ever since that was just really the last really solid quarterback they had because they had stability there, but. Yeah, that, that was definitely a, a costly injury, I think, in their history. Yep, and then that led to Kirk Cousins and the uh, – you love that – the comeback victory. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you like that? <laughs> his, his most notable thing he's done, he's done there. Hey, that yeah. made waves throughout the uh, Daily Aztec newsroom for a while. Yeah, it did. Uh-huh. <laughs> <clears throat> And it was part of the, and you see that now with um, the NFL, the uh, one of the sports documentaries on Netflix called Quarterback. Yeah. With Kirk Cousins. I still need to watch that. Definitely interested. In... Okay. I'm not going to spoil anything else. <laughs> no, I thought it was interesting. They had Marcus Mariota. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely we'll have to give that a, a watch for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Moving on now to DeAndre Hopkins, who has been an interesting saga this offseason to follow and obviously getting released by the Arizona Cardinals and becoming a free agent. Well, he has signed with a new team, and I think it's one that's kind of unexpected because we all thought he was going to sign with the Chiefs or the Bills or uh, a surefire, I would say, contender. But he goes to the Tennessee Titans on a two-year, $26 million deal. Uh, Brevin, I'll start with you. What do you think about this? 
Yeah, I think it's just. I mean, you have to remember this was the Titans team that was the number one overall, the number one team in the AFC just two years ago, and you know it's, you know it's probably something we obviously didn't expect for how much of a superstar DeAndre Hopkins has been in the NFL, but. I mean, Tennessee, they filled their void of getting the wide receiver once since they traded A.J. Brown last year. And so, I mean, even though it hurts a little bit to Traylon Burks' value, both um, in that depth chart, you can put from a fantasy perspective as, um, as well, it, you know, it's just going to gonna help um, that Titans team try and get back to that point and contend in the AFC South. And, um, you know, with teams... Um, like Jacksonville and uh, Indianapolis. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens here. I mean, he'll still have a veteran QB, most likely with Ryan Tannehill under center, unless they decide to go with Malik Willis. But um should be a good opportunity for D-Hop. Yeah, yeah. it does, does a... I was, I was going to ask you, DG, before you get to your point, would you rather have, if you're DeAndre Hopkins, would you want... Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis, or Will Levis thrown to you? <laughs> Those are my three only three options. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think Brevin makes a good point of they trade away AJ Brown. Obviously, get that that pick and draft. Um, but I mean, you don't have that vertical threat, right? I mean, you don't have that that, that bona fide number one wide receiver. Um, now, can DeAndre Hopkins be that guy again? I mean, it seems like I, I I would have to look back at the numbers, but I don't really feel like his Arizona Cardinal tenure was that memorable. Um, obviously, a part of it was plagued by suspension because of a, a failed PED test. Um, but, man, he's an uber-talented wide receiver, one who everybody – you remember the days when everybody's like, he needs to get out of Houston, right? And then he gets to Arizona. Um, I think he had I, – I, I remember that first year. I think it was like 2020 he had a pretty good year. Um, yeah, he had a really good year. Yeah, because I remember you remember that, that Hail Mary play against the Bills. Yeah. I forget what week yeah. it was, but I remember that was a pretty big year. That was, that was um, a – yep. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, uh, it'll be an interesting thing. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about the quarterbacks he's had because, mm-hmm. I mean – Deshaun Watson before, you know, uh, off the field issues was a very talented player. Um, Kyler Murray just seems like there's kind of also uh, personality issues and, and health concerns that have kind of limited him. But um, D-Hop has really played at an exceptional level, um, regardless of who's throwing to him. Colt McCoy. Uh, yeah. Exactly, Colt McCoy. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean – see what the kind of Titans kind of their QB room looks like or QB yeah. situation. And maybe he's that guy that kind of gets them back to being a, a you know, a serious contending team. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned his Cardinal center not being memorable besides 2020. You're absolutely right. Because that 2020 season statistically in regards to, uh, his uh, yards total, it was the third best year of his career, mm-hmm. at least in that regard. And he played all 16 games that year, followed by a 10-game season, and you mentioned that suspension, uh, a nine-game season last year in 2022. So, yeah, it, it hasn't been the most productive for him, but he, he he definitely had a better 2022 than 21 for sure. 
Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I would say here, him being able to be the wide receiver one, we're going to see if he still got it. I think this is his opportunity to prove that. The Titans, I mean, I don't think it's too much of a risk taking him on a two-year deal. He is 31 years old, so I, I think, you know, if anything, he'll be out more so of out of his prime by 33. I think you're the, from a Titans perspective, you're hoping it's not like Julio Jones when yes, he signed. Exactly. Right. Julio Jones was a Titan. That'd be a good immaculate grid. Uh, the only way I remember that was yeah. because he was on my fantasy team two years ago, and that did not go so well. Yep. Yeah. It, uh, traded last year, right? Mm-hmm. But two, going back to DeAndre Hopkins, he played nine games last year for the Cardinals. Had seven games of double-digit targets, so it tells you the volume. No matter who's going to be a quarterback, they'll still get that volume, most likely in Tennessee. Definitely. So we're going to see who ultimately is this quarterback. I don't know if it's going to be Will Levis from the beginning, but I have a feeling maybe at some point it could be, uh, based off what I've been seeing from training camp so far, uh, or pre-training camp, if you will, mini camp when that was happening earlier in this off season, um, really slimming down. And, uh, apparently he's, uh, had a really tight spiral out there on the field. So I don't know who, who knows what we're going to see, but if you're paying Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, that contract, which I believe is like $30 million a year, maybe more than that, then obviously I, I think you've got to use the guy that you're paying. So. We're gonna, he's probably going to start the season. We'll see how it all plays out for this Titans team. And uh, in regards to DeAndre Hopkins, I think that's going to be key is who's throwing him the football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hopkins is one of six players uh, to average at least 10 targets per game. Obviously, some of that's skewed based on playing considerations. I see Cooper Cubs part of that, Justin Jefferson, uh, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, and... Uh, Terry Hill, but um, obviously Cooper Cup was out since week 10, week 11. Um, Don Hopkins only played nine games, and Jamar Chase was out for four games. So mm. take that stat for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, speaking of wide receivers, we have another one in Denzel Mims who was just traded earlier today. Um, obviously, he was one of the better wide receivers in all of college football, uh, especially back in 2019 when he put up over a 1,000 yards for Baylor with 12 touchdowns that year, and he was drafted in the second round by the Jets. Um, Well, he was just traded by the Jets to the Detroit Lions for a 2025 seventh rounder, and the Jets will also get a 2025 conditional sixth rounder as a part of this trade so he gets a new change of scenery and I think he really needed it because he never really got the opportunity that you would think a player of his caliber as a prospect should have received yeah and too you think about you know the pieces that came in you know obviously with Aaron Rodgers but then you think about that wide receiver room you know always you already have Garrett Wilson there but then you also have um Yo, you brought in Alan Lazard to help that wide receiver room. So I think that's part of it. And then you think about the Lions receivers room, you know, they're not going to have Jamison Williams for the early part. So recovering from 
that ACL, so um, add some depth behind um, Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah. Uh, DG, do you know anything about Denzel Mims, him in college, or anything in New York? I mean, he was really one of those forgotten mm-hmm. guys when Zach Wilson was primary quarterback there. Yeah. Uh, not too much. I know he just hasn't played a whole lot since he turned pro. Um, but I do like what the Lions are doing. Um, and obviously, a guy's a second-round pick for a reason, right? Um, and I, I think that that culture they're trying to establish with Dan Campbell as head coach, um, with some of those guys on that team, it's like it's almost like kind of a, a when we've seen like with Jared Goff, right? It's almost like a like a second chance spot that guys who are that or that has guys thriving. So I mean, like what they're doing, I think he's a good fit. I mean, for an offense that could use, I mean, a versatile wide receiver, and uh, yeah, I mean, the Lions are kind of still on the come up. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean. It's a low risk move here. I mean, they really don't give up much for him. So right, pick three or two years from now. So yeah, seventh round pick two years from now. Well, he be that. He could be that wide receiver three. Yeah, behind uh, Brown and Marvin Jones Jr. Yeah. So that Lions team still looking to add some more weapons on offense, and they do so here by picking up. Mims, and so it'll be fun to see this uh, Lions team in action next year, as well as the Jets. I mean, these two teams kind of just going through some revamping processes here, and mm-hmm. see them, uh, trying to you know take initiative and, and really get to the next level, and, and just try and stay competitive and make the playoffs. Really, all it does got to be on hard knocks. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Speaking of that, Brett, I saw uh, Robert Sala today, head coach of the Jets. He was wearing a I Heart HK shirt. <laughs> nice. His press conference. Mm-hmm. So, I guess uh, Hard Knocks won't be that much of a distraction for the Jets and their players. <laughs> mm-hmm. And another big thing that's happening this offseason in the NFL is the release of Madden. And with that comes every year in July, uh, a few weeks before the actual release of the video game is the ratings release of the players. And Brevin, there have been a few players, I believe, given 99 overall rankings. Yeah. Um, Aaron Donald. Yep. Uh, Justin Jefferson. Travis Kelsey. And Zach Martin, I feel like there's more than just four. Um, yeah, I, I believe those are the names that I saw. Let's see. But, DG, let me ask you this. In the, in the meantime, what do you feel about those names? Yeah, I mean, deserve play, I mean players who deserve that rating. Um, it's kind of cool when I've seen, like, on social media when they do, like, the reveals, right? Yeah. Where like guys get sent like some like crazy package from EA Sports and there's like like a whole thing to it, which is cool that they've taken it to that level. Um and it's funny because like you wouldn't think that guys don't care, but like you hear him mic'd up and, and speaking like to, to people in the media or to reporters, it's like, yeah, like they pay attention and, and it's like almost like take pride in 
and see that as a, as like a in a way like an accomplishment. And I think we're seeing that especially because like now we're seeing players at that age who kind of grew up on that generation of playing Madden consistently. And it's like a more common thing of like of having played video games growing up and now people being pro athletes and now they're kind of getting to to live that I guess that aspect of that dream, right? Yeah. And we've even seen some players so far through these uh, rating reveals kind of tweet their thoughts about what's happened. And yeah, a, a lot of that typically is, is negative in response to EA Sports Madden. So mm. <laughs> so it, it's always interesting and, uh, to see how players feel about that. And you're absolutely right. They, they really do care. And I think, too, you, you touched on, you know, the rating reveals and how, you know, some teams or players are able to do that and showcase their, their players and for who they are. Um, it, it's becoming more creative sort of like schedule reveals for the NFL. Yeah, in, in a yeah that's a good comparison. So yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, Revan, when you, when you look at the list of ratings so far for Madden, uh, 24, what, what have you seen and what kind of sticks out to you? Yeah, I think for me, um, I know wide receivers, you got Justin Jefferson at 99, Tyree Kills 98, Devontae Adams 97, and then at 96, you got both Cooper Cup and Stephon Diggs. I thought that was pretty interesting there. Drew and James 95 among safeties, so um, I think that's a top safety too, I'm reading. Um, you got Jamar Chase at 94, Minka Fitzpatrick at 93. So among the wide receiver and free safety ratings that were failed um, earlier this week. Yeah, I think these ratings are really solid for the most part. Um, one that I do disagree with, honestly, is TJ Watt. Coming in at, 90, oh, yeah. at 94, I think he should be a little higher. I think he's deserving maybe of a a 96, maybe a 97, just because of uh, what he's been able to do, uh, defensive player of the year. And last season, uh, injured for a good portion of that. And, uh, that probably impacted his rating, but I don't know if he's necessarily deserving of that. I, I think he is more so deserving of, you know, a little bit more of a ratings increase just because we weren't able to really see him at his best last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that. I mean, if you're a defensive player of the year and do all of that, like, show a little bit more respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think, too, maybe another one would be A.J. Brown. Um, 91 could be maybe they thought a little bit, a little bit higher. Yeah. Down 94, 95. Helped lead that Eagles team to a Super Bowl. Um, catching those deep passes in the Super Bowl as well, so... I thought they that may have been an option there, right? Possibly for AJ Brown. Definitely. Um, I I think in regards to some younger players here, what I'm looking at on this ratings list is corners, and more specifically, uh, Patrick Sertan coming in at a 94 overall. And one of his uh, former uh, 2020 draft pick counterparts, Sauce Gardner, he has a 93. So I think a lot of people actually would disagree on that. I don't know if I personally would. I would probably give him the same rating. But uh, 
I, I think that's a debate that's starting to become, you know, more prevalent as these players mature is uh, Patrick Sertan and Sauce Gardner drafted the same year, um, already have done so much mm-hmm. respectively in their careers. So um, it's always funny to see how people react to uh, two young guys who are trying to compete against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the lead for that cornerback ranking is Jalen Ramsey, um, a new Dolphin, a new Miami Dolphin at 97 overall. All right, there you go. All right. You guys ready for trivia? Do it. Let's yeah, let's do this. So, with uh, Shohei Otani obviously being such a hot topic here on this episode of Down the Line, this episode number 110, we're going to get into Shohei Otani trivia today. And uh, when kind of looking through some things here, um, it was interesting to see how. Uh, much I didn't actually know about Shohei Otani. So I'm going to ask you uh, some of these questions here about him and his career. We're going to do a little bit of trivia mm-hmm. here, uh, for Shohei Otani. All right. Um, we're going to have you guys both answer here, but uh, I want to just give you kind of uh, the scene here. So. Otani initially attracted the attention of scouts from Major League Baseball in 2012. And while doing so, he set a Japanese high school record by throwing a uh, fast pitch for his high school. Um, He originally wanted to sign with the MLB organization of a high school, but instead started his career in Japan. And this record pitch in regards to miles per hour, I want to give you a, a over-under for this. So setting the high school record by doing this, your over-under is 99 miles per hour in high school. You got to right? go over. You got to go over. got to be over, yeah. You guys both say over? I yeah. mean, yeah, it has to be. You guys are both right. It was okay. 99.4. Oh, okay, okay. That makes um, sense. But, yeah, I don't know. Just to, to track that much attention. I mean, it's not that, like, high schoolers don't throw that hard. But, like, yeah, to, like, get that much thing, like, 100 makes sense. Or 99.4 mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, most high schoolers, they're throwing about, on the high end, they're throwing maybe 95, 96, so. Right. So, all right. Mm-hmm. So, we're moving on here. Uh, Otani was a two-sport athlete in high school. Hmm. Um, I'm going to give you three different options here. And I'm going to see if you can guess them. So, one option here I'm going to give you, A, is track and field. B, swimming. Or C, badminton. I think swimming is probably what I'll go with. It makes sense. Swimming. What do you think so about it? Run. Let's see. Track and field, swimming, yeah. or badminton. I'm going to go track and field here. It's actually swimming. Oh, oh nice. There you go, DG. 
Uh, Otani's high school baseball coach instructed his players to swim as part of their workouts. And yeah. mm-hmm. that coach said Otani was particularly fast in the pool. And he gave a quote saying that the swimming coach here said he could have made the Olympics. Damn. Michael Phelps needs to talk to him. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Phelps and Ryan Lochte. So, yeah, another interesting kind of stat is that his mom uh, played badminton professionally. So that was part of that. And his, his father played semi-pro baseball. All right. So I'm going to ask you another question here in regards to his current contract. Obviously, this season, um, he is on a more substantial deal than he has been in the past. Um, So what exactly is that total? I'm going to give you an over-under for each of you. That's uh, $29 million. Uh, I think it's over. It's over. Yeah, and over. I, I, I think I know what it is, but I, so I know it's over. It's over. It's at least thirty. Yeah, I think it's a one-year thirty million. That's what he won in arbitration, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah, you guys are right. Yeah, that's the arbitration. So I was just testing your guys' knowledge there a little bit, but just crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> man, guy's gonna make a lot of money. Yeah, Anthony, Anthony Rendon's making thirty-eight point six million. I'll top that. And Anthony Rendon is making more than Mike Trout as well. And playing less than Mike Trout. And playing less, yep. <laughs> exactly. So there you go. Um, so, DG, you've been to plenty of Angels games when Otani mm-hmm. was was there. And Brevin, I, I think you're very familiar with this as well. We've all heard some of his walk-up songs. Mm-hmm. Can you guys name one of his? Uh, uh, oh, gosh. yeah. I know one of them is from 30 Seconds to Mars, right? That's the yeah. group, right? It's because uh, so, so I remember there was one he would use. He uses one when he pitches and uses one when he hits. Yeah. I do remember the 30 Seconds to Mars one was okay. used when he pitches. Yes, yes, the that's other, right. The other one, man, I can, like, hum it, like, in my head. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I just, I can't remember the name, but I know it's a Japanese song. Yeah, Revan, do you, do you? Oh, 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 I know it. I do know it. It's, it's, um, I don't know how long to give Revan. Revan, Revan do, you want, do you want to go ahead and give a guess? No, because I don't even know what it is. It's, um, the, the one he uses as a hitter, it's, like, Something in Paradise. Or something. Yeah, I forget the whole name, but I know "Paradise" is in the word in in the in the title. So it's a thirty it's, seconds to Mars song, and then it's something in Paradise when he hits. Okay, uh, I or used to be that at least back in twenty twenty one. Okay, uh, in uh, Shohei, I'm looking this up right now um, because I I think you're absolutely right. Um, Lost in Paradise. Lost in Paradise. Okay, that's what it was. Yep. So, wow. Okay, that's not even on the list that I have here. So, <laughs> but I, I know I know exactly what you were talking about, though. Yeah, because he, I think he had used it as rookie, and then just never changed it. 
Yeah. Okay. So there you go. He's had multiple walk-up songs. Uh, he's had Twin Bow by Slushy and Marshmallow. Mm. He's had a, that Afrojack song, Do or Die. That's the one with 30 Seconds to Mars. Yep. Yeah. That's 30 Seconds to Mars there. And then the he had the theme song from Game of Thrones. Hmm, that's interesting. So I guess he's a Game of Thrones fan. And then last year, we all remember the Angels' infamous 13-game uh, losing streak. Oh, yeah, yeah, with uh, Covert. Yeah, so everyone changed their walk-up song. And uh, Otani's walk-up song was uh, Photographed by Nickelback. Yeah, I remember that. Here, oh, seeing, re- I remember reading about that. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting as well. That's not like Joey Votto telling, going on Twitter and saying, all right, pick a Taylor Swift song. I didn't even have a walk-up with Taylor Swift in town. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think Nickelback was in town. I think they just used it to try to yeah, they just used it. break out of that slump. They got to use the Gwen Stefani day. I know. With uh, her bringing luck to the team. Yeah. OC Queen. All right. Here we go. We're going to go on to another question here, and uh, we're going to talk Otani's favorite baseball players. Uh, do you guys know who they are? There's two of them. He, he has been pretty open about them uh, so far in his career. I'll start with you, Brevin. Uh, he said this during the All-Star game. He said Mookie Betts. Yeah. Mookie Betts is, is one of those. Huh? Can't think of and, the second one. And DG. Do you do you know the second one? Um, if I had a guess, I know he had a. Um, if it's a retired player, I would assume Ichiro Suzuki. That is a good guess. Uh, Brevin, do you want to try and guess the other one? Um, trying to think. I was thinking Pujols for a sec. That's a pretty good guess as well. Teammates. Um, well, I feel like it's a pitcher, though. Since we covered maybe that. Maybe. I don't know who's that. Freeman? I'll lock in Freddie Freeman. Is that type of hitter? If it's current, I feel like it's Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman. Is that your guess? Yeah, I'm going to lock in Freddie Freeman. All right. It is not Freddie Freeman. So you mentioned Mookie Betts. Also, his his other favorite current player right now, Yu Darvish. Mm. Oh, yeah, I could have went that route too. Yep. Teammates on the World Baseball Classic winning team. Yep. And Otani also too. He he's it Ichiro is a, a great guest there, DG, but um he he also has spoken very highly of uh Hideki Matsui. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Just like era he grew up watching baseball in. Yeah. Godzilla. Hmm. All right, we're going to move on to the last uh, kind of question here on this trivia here today. Uh, Otani sleeps, I would say, more than I do. I usually get, like, I usually oh, get, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go for it. I get, like, six hours a night, and Otani definitely gets a lot more than I do. Um, 
How many hours of sleep does he get? I'm going to give you an over-under here, and it is 10 and a half hours. So based on his trip to St. Louis, right, when the Angels were in town, uh, Lars Nupar, Cardinals outfielder, who became really good friends with Shohei during the WBC, joked about this because people asked him how – what did they go out and do? And or yeah. what did you learn about Shohei? And one of the big things is like, this guy sleeps a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to have to go over 10 and a half. I'm trying to think. Do you even have time to sleep more than 10 hours, especially if you're on the road? I mean, maybe on the flight, it adds up. Flight plus hotel. I'll, I'll go over here. So it's actually it's actually under. It's, it's it Oh, was it 10? 10 hours. Okay. Although he he uh, naps in between his baseball routine. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So te- so I mean technically you guys would be right, but I guess at, at night he sleeps ten hours. But yeah. Um, yeah. Another mm-hmm. another fact here is he has custom pillows with extra material so that their uh, height never goes down. That's actually yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. That request is probably from eBay. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right, so there's your Shohei Otani trivia for the day. Hopefully you guys learned something there mm-hmm. about the current GOAT. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that'll pretty much do it here for this episode number 110 on Down the Line. Once again, I uh, got into a lot this week, and we are so grateful for Daniel Guerrero, DG. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you coming on, as always. Um, great catching up with you, talking with you. It's been, you know, a few months, but um, always really cool to hear your perspective on things because you have so much insight, and uh, really cool to see you thriving, you know, covering the Cardinals, their minor league system right now. And, uh, you know, always grateful to have you back on. Uh, any final words from you? No, well, thank you, guys. I mean, uh, same sentiment. It's great to see what you guys are up to. And um really happy and proud for you guys uh, and what, what all you've done. Um, but, yeah, thanks for the invite. It's always great to, to talk sports and just catch up in general. And um, 110 episodes, dude, that's a lot of episodes. Um, and that's something to be proud of and i know you guys are and uh yeah i just want to say thanks it's always a pleasure to, to join and talk to you guys catch up and uh it's great to see what you guys are uh are out there accomplishing and hopefully i can uh, kind of uh follow in your footsteps and and model my game after you guys that you guys are uh definitely you know friends that i i admire and uh, uh have a lot of respect for so yeah thank you guys and uh yeah, we got to do this again sometime. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And you can follow DG, Daniel Guerrero, on Twitter once again, at the Dan Guerrero. And uh, we're uh, excited to see uh, how you continue to thrive as well in uh, St. Louis, DG. So appreciate those kind words. And thanks again for coming on. But for Revan Honda, once again, on Down the Line, I am Kyle Betts. This was episode number 110. We look forward to you listening next week for episode 111. A lot more to break down next week as well. So we will see you then for now. I am Kyle Betts once again signing off. We'll see you again soon.